Welcome to Just a Parishioner, Episode 5. I'm Lorenz Zaragoza. I'm Sean Greeley. Thank you for downloading today's episode, and don't forget to subscribe. These episodes are available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Five. We're up to five already, man. Five episodes. Today, for us, is Ash Wednesday. For you, oh, actually, it's Ash Wednesday Eve. I don't know what day it is. It's Fat Tuesday. But for you listening... It's like two weeks into Lent, so hopefully you're doing good. Hopefully we're doing good, and we're all uh, we're all doing good. Speaking of five, it sounds like you've had five bourbons, but it's only one right now. It's so. not even. <laughs> so, all right. So let's continue. We do have a great show for you today. Um, as always, we have an amazing parishioner profile. Um, if you're New to the podcast, Sean's going to break down what a parishional profile is. Uh, before we do that, Sean, I want to talk about the live episode that we're going to be doing on March 18th. Again, the title of that live episode we're going to be doing with uh, Father Brian Barr down here in Long Beach, uh, Mike Griffin, the DRE down here, also a teacher here on Long Island, um, and two guys, Joe and Jordan from the God and Country podcast. Again, that's going to be the evening of March 18th down here at St. Mary of the Isle. And the name of uh, that show is going to be, uh, Will People Ever Come Back to the Church? And it's based on an article that's circulating uh, amongst the Catholic world. So uh, do you want to do a quick like a preview or a teaser of exactly what that night's going to look like? Yeah, so like Lorenz mentioned, it's going to be based around this article um, that came out with some statistics that broke down Catholic mass attendance before COVID and after COVID. And essentially, there's just been a huge, huge drop off and understandably a lot of places weren't even having in-person mass for months at a time but now that mass is reopening in most of the country there's still just a lot of people not going back and it, it seems like it could be a very very negative turning point for the american catholic church and the catholic church worldwide but specifically america is is what the article focuses on so we're going to be delving into a little bit about our thoughts on that specifically and then where we think the church should go or is going from here, uh, how to try to get some people back. Essentially, we're going to try to solve all the church's problems in one night. Now, we're not going to succeed in that, but we hope to at least have some fruitful conversation, and we hope that you'll tune in for it and give us some feedback along the way, ask some questions that hopefully we can give some insight to. Yeah, it really should be a great night, some great conversation. Again, that's the evening of March 18th. Uh, down here at St. Saint Ma- Saint Mary of the Isle Parish. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Sean, we're going to jump into uh, Brendan, Brendan Rourke's parishioner profile. Uh, but for the listeners who have just are, are listening for the first time, what is a parishioner profile? A parishioner profile is very much just hearing where somebody is coming from in their faith journey, telling us what they think are the key moments as far as their relationship with God or their their knowledge of God. Uh, their encounters with Jesus, you know, it could be turning points in their lives. It could be very emotional points in their lives where faith affected them in some powerful way. Everybody's story is going to be a little bit different with that, but we want to give a platform to your everyday parishioner, hashtag just a parishioner, and allow them to share with the way that they believe God has communicated that to them in their lives. Nice use of a hashtag, just a parishioner. Yeah. It's always cool when you use a verbal hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> and by always, never. Um, before, <laughs> what I want to say is um, if you think that you have somebody or you yourself will be great for a personal profile, we uh, encourage you to reach out to us via social media. You can connect with us on Instagram at just a parishioner. You can go to facebook.com slash just a parishioner, or you can shoot us an email at uh, weareparishioners at gmail.com. 
That's enough stalling. <laughs> Without further ado, we're bringing on Brendan Rourke for his parishioner profile. Brendan, thanks for coming on tonight. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Long time coming. Like I said, episode five, Sean's five bourbons deep. So uh, let's. <laughs> so we know what a personal let's, profile is. We've got to get that Co- out of the collectively, way. Collectively, five bourbons deep between all five episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so again, Brendan, yeah, the personal profile. Everybody has a different journey. Uh, people are going to listen to yours. And, and, you know, again, this is the fifth episode. Yours might be the one that they connect to the best. And, uh, and I have a feeling that a lot of people, that might be the case. So uh, before we go into your personal profile, just uh, introduce, introduce yourself. What do you do? Sure. Uh, so hello, everybody, and thank you both for having me on. Um, so my name is Brendan Rourke. Um, my story is I am from Huntington, Long Island. Um, been there pretty much my whole life um, before moving to Astoria, Queens, um, where I've been the last few years. Um, currently, right now, I work as a financial advisor at Merrill Lynch, um, and I love it. Um, a lot of challenges with a job like that, obviously, with the way the virus has been, it's been obviously, you know, an adjustment to everybody's job. But I will say, um, you know, I'm blessed to have a career like that, um, you know, and it's been going well. Um, and really, for me, um, you know, I've always I'm glad to be on here because I do believe that my story personally is something that um, I would hope a lot of people um, can relate to. And, but also, a lot of people might not be able to relate to it and can hear it and be inspired and maybe try to, um, you know, find a direction, an avenue back toward God. Um, awesome. And, you know, I'm looking forward to diving in and talking with you guys. Yeah. And uh, it, it's so funny because when we were talking about your career as a financial advisor, I mean, we talked about the fact that I was in that industry before I was in the one I am now. And if you ever want to toughen up your skin and <laughs> become a financial advisor, <laughs> because it is it is a brutal field, whether it comes to your competition, your colleagues, or just the, uh, I was going to say patients, but the clients themselves, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, Again, all the credit to you for jumping into the field and and uh, making your name in there. So best of luck to you. Um, praying for you for sure. Uh, but let's let's direct it back to the personal profile. So we always start from the beginning. So how was it uh, growing up uh, as a person of faith? What was your faith life like uh, like when you were growing up? Sure. Um, so I've been very blessed to have um, really the best foundation that I could with my family. Um, you know, both of my parents, um, since I was really little, um, really always had a strong faith background. Um, my dad, just to start it off, actually studied to be a priest. Um, he entered the seminary. Um, <clears throat> he did it for, um, I believe it was a few semesters. And then he kind of realized that, um, although we did have a calling, um, that particular direction wasn't the right fit. Um, so he ended up leaving. Um, and then he, um, ended up meeting my mom and they got married, had a kid, started a family and, you know, kind of happy end to the story, he became a deacon. So, um, you know, since really from day one, I always was lucky to have kind of a, a very strong background. That's great. You know, and um, the whole the whole nine when it comes to kind of the education and the Catholic faith, I went to Catholic school pretty much my entire life except for college. Um, you know, K through 12, went to the same school in Huntington, St. Patrick's Huntington, little shout out. Um, went to Chaminade High School for four years, another shout out, um, two awesome schools that I've met my bestest of friends at both of those. And, um, you know, and then obviously Hofstra was a great experience as well, being able to kind of take that background, um, apply it to, um, a more secular environment, a place where you don't really always see everybody, 
like you, right? Definitely. Um, and obviously, you know, that's where we met, right? Sean, you and I, and we yep. had Hops to 2016. Hops let's go. 2016, let's go. Um, you know, and you have your own experiences there. But um, yeah, growing up, it, it was very, very strong um, kind of foundation. So um, for sure, you know, that was a huge part of my my upbringing. But, um, you know, with that being said, obviously, you know, everybody kind of could be brought up that way, right? And, you know, realize kind of what's really the benefit of it, right? I feel like a lot of people that, you know, especially at our age right now, who are really close to their faith have had experiences to kind of really make them believe it, right? I feel like just having that background, that's really step one, right? When your parents send you to a school or you're raised in the faith in a certain way, um, what's that extra step that you can take, right, to make sure that you individual yourself really understand why, you know, God is there for you, what he does for you, um, how is Jesus present in your life, right? Um, not just from what you read about in school and just going to Mass on Sunday because your parents make you, right? Um, so, tying it back to the original question, I always had that structure, right? But my mentality was always, how can I be better, right? How can I really understand what God's plan is for Brendan, right? Not just my family, not just kind of my brothers, uh, my sister, obviously, like, right, like, what can I do better to form that relationship even deeper? Yeah. So let me ask you a question. How many siblings do you have? I have three younger siblings. Three younger. Oh, so you're the oldest. I'm the oldest, Oh, man. man the pack leader there. Pack leader. So yeah. many things with that, that we <laughs> let, can talk about. <laughs> let me ask you a question because, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, we've all had lulls in, in our faith, you know, and, and the, the lulls are relative, yeah. right? But it sounds like you've had this extremely strong foundation, you know, thanks to your parents, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, with that foundation, do you, would you say that your siblings kind of have that foundation too? They do, which is a great question. Um, you know, we're all very close because of that, right? But I would say um, I would separate myself a little bit from my siblings, um, really just because of, I think I, I've had experiences in my life, like I mentioned, that I, I felt it and I believed it. And I don't believe that my siblings have had those personal experiences um, yet, right? They may have maybe as a young you know, child and, you know, they're all younger, right? I have two, I have a brother who's 25, another brother who's 22. My little sister is still in high school. So, you know, we all had different experiences, different points of our lives, but I've been lucky to have those at an early age that I think kind of made me separate myself a little bit from kind of having that drive to um, create that deeper relationship. Um, but uh, yeah, the, I guess the best way I can describe it when you're playing sports and you learn how to swing a baseball bat, you get the foundation down, right? And then you kind of put yourself in a category like, you know, anybody can really do this. They get the foundation, right? But the, the people that really work hard, the people that really go and try to really, you know, deepen it, become better at that particular, you know, whether it's power swing or contact swing, you know, things like that. You want to really work on something deeper. Um, I had that drive and I think that that would be something that I felt separated myself from kind of my siblings, um, you know, and I think that that's still evident, you know, today. What do you think it was about growing up? I don't know if it was, um, you know, just you're growing up in a house that you're being sent to Catholic school. Your dad was training to be a priest, so clearly faith was very important um, family-wise and everything. So, but like you said, you you were able to take it beyond the foundations into something a little bit more serious. What what was it that kind of stirred you towards that growing up? Sure. So um, that's kind of a great um, kind of segue into kind of a story that I have when I was really young about kind of the initial starting point for I think why I was um, 
you know, different in that aspect and also kind of why my parents were even more kind of motivated to make sure we were raised the right way. So, um, yeah, I mean, so the, the first one for sure was, you know, when I was really little, um, being the firstborn, like you mentioned, there's a, a lot of great things about it, right? I think one of the main things, you know, that I'll remember too, like when I have kids someday, when I, you know, get there, um, there's just something special about like a firstborn child, firstborn son, especially, right? Like, you know. Um, Wouldn't know. Yeah. Exa- oh, really? There you go. Yeah. All girls. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know. No regrets. <laughs> there's, al- there's always, we're all blessed in different ways. There you go. So, yeah. there's, you know, maybe eventually, but, um, but yeah, so, you know, so that that's cool, and that was something that, like, I guess I grew up um, knowing that, you know, they obviously were really happy. They had their first child, my parents, everything was going great. Um, so my brother and I are 18 months apart. Uh, my brother is born in July. Um, at this point, again, about 18 months um, apart, so I'm about a year and a half, right, um, old. And uh, I start getting sick. So I was a sick child in the sense that I constantly got fevers and stuff, like, you know, I found myself, apparently I was, you know, constantly going to the doctor. Um, sometimes it was just a cold, you know, sometimes it was just a sore throat, whatever it was, but, um, it was pretty consistent that it happened. Um, originally nothing really to worry about. Um, you know, fast forward to this, you know, point in our lives where, um, you know, I was at that age, about a year and a half, my brother was just born around the summertime. I started getting fevers pretty much every day. So I would literally, um, get a fever at like, you know, I wake up, have a fever, take aspirin or whatever it was that they gave me, calm down a little bit. And then at night the fever would come back. Now this, these fevers were not like, you know, uh, 98, 99, low grade fever type things were like 102, 103. It was, it was concerning because they really couldn't like diagnose what was going on because it happened. How long was that going on for? So these it turned in, fevers. it turned into pretty much like six months. Jeez. It was yeah. like nonstop. Which, yeah, like you as a parent, imagine like your daughter going through six months of constant fever. I'd That's rather horrifying. not, man. Yeah, it's a, it was well, I'm not trying to paint a mental image for you, but right. just like that, I don't know. I can't imagine that. Well, I mean, <laughs> but what, what sounds like the worst part about it is not only the fact that you were getting fevers for six months straight, but the doctor is saying, I have no idea why. Well, yeah. That's the most terrifying part The most terrifying it. thing. It's your, so again, your firstborn son, right? And like, you know, your first child, it's going through like a really serious mental kind of illness. You can't really understand what's going on, right? So um, doctor's no idea what's going on. So fast forward to, about December. Um, these fears keep happening. There's no explanation for it. Um, I will say that at that point, my parents started to lose faith a lot um, because they were like, what did I do to deserve this? Um, you know, it's someone who like, you know, there's nothing really wrong with what we're doing. Like, why are we, why are we the ones that have to suffer, right? Classic like, Jove. Classic yeah. Jove. Very normal. I mean, I feel like, you know, it's easy for anybody to feel that way, right? Like any of us that would have kids, like if that happened, it's like insane. Like, why is this happening? And it's unexplained. Um, so one particular moment, these fevers keep happening, you know, we get to around December, um, my mom's in the kitchen, my, um, brother is getting fed, um, she hears like a thud and like I fall down and I start having like a really bad seizure and I had had seizures, like a few minor ones before then, but it was again, just like, you know what, he's going to be fine. Like give him whatever, like they did some tests, they couldn't find anything, but this one was like really particularly intense, wasn't breathing, turned blue in the face. My mom runs out into the street and this is when we're living in Huntington as you know she's been telling me this story since obviously I was little she runs into the street and she like screams and she's like someone help me like you know oh my gosh like you know I have no idea what to do like he's not breathing thankfully our neighbor comes out helps my mom you know apparently puts me down and um 
calls an ambulance and stuff, and I'm rushed to the hospital. Um, do a bunch of tests at the hospital, but they said you got to go to this other hospital. I believe it was LIJ in like New Hyde Park or something. Just like neurologists that was like really well known that could probably give me a better estimate. So um, go to Huntington, then like right away go to New Hyde Park. We get there. Same thing. They just say like, all these tests are being done. They just can't figure it out. They're like, I don't know what to tell you. My mom literally tells me every time she's like, I looked at the doctor and the doctor just like shrugged his shoulders and was like, we just can't figure this out. And like this whole time, keep in mind, I had mentioned that I was brought up with like a very faith oriented background. But at that moment, there was they, they lost all hope. They were like, what am, like I said, what am I doing wrong? Like what's going on? So going to the, the end of this, right? They're just like, what am I going to do? Um, they see in the paper, my dad specifically, who was obviously starting to be a priest, he was very involved with like what was going on in Long Island and the community for the parishes. There was a healing mass that was going on at St. Bridget's in Westbury. So my parents decide to take me there and they walk in. I have 105 or 104 fever, like something crazy at this point, right? And um, I walk in with them, right? And there's this group that's there and the group is there praying, right? They're praying before this mass. They're just like a healing group. I think they were playing the rosary at the time. Um, and then my parents walk in, they sit down and then, um, they just ask like, what are you guys here for? And then they said, you know, my, my son is, is very sick. We don't know what's going on. Um, we're just trying to kind of, you know, get positive vibes, like ask God just to help us and kind of give us some direction ask us, you know, just to kind of move forward. Um, and then, um, added after that, before the mass starts, a old woman comes up to my parents and sits behind them. And then he, she says, I don't really know why I'm doing this, but I have this kind of drive and I kind of have this inkling. I want to give this to you. And she pulls out a scapula that was actually kissed by the Blessed Mother. And she hands it to my parents and she says, I think you guys need this more than me. And then she just walks away. It was like a scene out of a movie because like it was just was something that you would never expect to happen. You'd hope it would, obviously, if someone's like struggling, right? But... Um, it just was something that came really out of nowhere. So, um, we get the scapula, my parents get the scapula, um, and then the mass starts and my dad tells me how he put the scapula, he like put his hand on my heart basically and put the scapula around, um, me and just like started praying, like, you know, crying and stuff. Just like, please, like, you know, I can't do this anymore. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I just really can't. Um, so that all happens. We leave, we go back to the house in Huntington and then they realize that, you know, I still kind of had the fever at the time, right? It was really high at the point, but it went down during the mass. Um, get changed into my, um, you know, uh, my uh, pajamas, right? And then I go to bed. And then my grandma, who was there, was saying, oh, he seems like he's getting a little bit better, right? Like, nothing crazy. My mom's like, nah, I don't think it's going to happen. Like, you know, he's still, you know, been sick for, like, crazy months upon months. Um, and then she's like, no, you know, trust it, whatever. My grandma was trying to be as positive as possible. Turned out, I wake up the next day, fever's gone, right? Nothing. And then they're like, okay, that's kind of weird, whatever. Um, because, like, it was just, might have been a freak thing, whatever it was. Again, at this time, they're not really sure, right? They didn't really have that faith. Um, so, no whatsoever fever. Then the next day after that, then no fever again. Completely cool. They go to the doctor, take my temperature. They're like, he's fine, right? Um, so, right away, it's probably difficult to be like, you know, this is a miracle right away because it's just only a few days. But then those few days turn into weeks and then the weeks turn into like a month and a half, like about six weeks after. Never had a fever again. The next time I had a fever was like four or five years later for like a genuine flu that I right. had or something, right? But 
it was a miracle. It was insane. And like, it's crazy because I never, I never really talk about it because I feel like I don't want to, I was lucky to have that experience where, you know, I was saved. Right. And I feel like that, um, God had a plan for my parents and I know my parents deep down never truly gave up on God and the plan for the family, but I totally do understand and agree that they just hourly just done, right? What am I doing? Why am I putting my trust in God right now when, you know, nothing's going my way? So my dad felt the need to, it's kind of the end of the story. My dad was, felt the need to go back to St. Bridget's and basically just say thank you. He had gone to church after that, obviously, but he wanted to go back to the particular parish um, because there was another healing mass going on. He goes, and the gospel reading that day when he goes was the uh, 10 lepers story, When right? And then of the 10 lepers, one leper, the only one that goes back to say thank you to Jesus for curing them. So my dad, it was just a sign that my dad felt the need, like, I need to go tell people this happened, say thank you, not just to, to God, obviously, but also that group of people that took their time to tell us about this, to pray with us, and just you know, really just take care of their son, right? And just help them. So um, it's crazy because that particular scapula, it saved me. We gave it to my cousin. My cousin ended up getting a brain tumor when he was five. Um, and we gave it to him. And like, you know, a month later, cured, done with chemo, all that stuff. He was wow. done. And like, it's crazy to think about how that particular scapula being passed to different people and right now i believe my aunt might still have it i think they gave it to another person that was struggling but um the power of god and the power of the trust that my parents had to finally come to understand in god and his plan for the family because it clearly wasn't my time to go like it was my time to give to the world and i was such so young right and my parents were young parents like you know so they just it was easy to lose hope. They didn't. They went to the one place they felt they had to and felt they could go to to be in a trustworthy situation. And um, they got what they needed. And it's crazy, you know? And um, I believe it was blessed in Medjugorje, I believe, mm -hmm. from what I know about the story. I don't know the whole backstory because I know there's some research still has to come out about it. Um, I know from what my dad tells me, but. Um, yeah, that's the main story for why I was told that at a young age, right? So that's the main story for me was the first step for me realizing, okay, there needs to be more that I need to do. It can't just be like, I had that experience. I just can't be the kid that goes to mass on Sunday because my parents tell me or because my friends do it because their parents make them right. Like I need to do more. So, um, that was it. I, I, I love the way that you wrap that up in a bow at the very end there, because, you know, I think we all know. Even people in our own lives where we kind of lose hope in desperate situations, specifically when we know loved ones who are sick. And we pray, we pray, we pray. But at the end of the day, you know, unfortunately, um, a different outcome, you know, at the end, right? I think we've all experienced that, or at least we know somebody who's experienced that. Um, so the fact that you take you know your own personal story that obviously you don't remember it you were so young but your parents um, tell you or told you I'm sure at the appropriate age for you to really comprehend that and there's two ways that you could take that number one is actually there are three ways number one is like okay that's just lucky <laughs> you know no God involved I think that's just lucky um, number two is cool thanks awesome and then going on about your day. 
in this secular world, uh, like nothing ever happened. Right. Um, but, you know, the last episode that we had was about Catholic influences, the importance of it, um, the responsibility of it. Um, and it sounds like the third way that you could go about it is, is what you're doing is essentially, this was my story. Number one, I'm going to share it when appropriate, right? Um, but number two, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in a responsible manner and try to be a good role model for my three younger siblings, uh, for the people around me. Obviously, none of us are perfect, right? Um, however, you know, I'm, I'm going to take my faith, you know, pretty seriously. And, um, you know, that's, 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 that's great on you, man. And, and like I said, you know, you, you were, you came out on the right end of, of, of this story. And, and I had 50 questions in the middle of it, but, Hell no, was I stopping to stopping you to, to ask any of them for sure. And I'll say like the whole time I was listening. So Brennan mentioned earlier, he and I went to college together and we met, you know, our freshman year, but we didn't really get to know each other real well till like junior, senior year of college. But I saw him every week at Sunday mass when we were in college together. And it was one of those things where I didn't really know him very well. We said hi to each other, but it was like, wow, this guy is like a a cool guy, a normal guy, and he's just going to mass on his own every week, and that's really respectable. But hell no did I know this whole story, and honestly didn't know all the details of it until right now when he explained it. And I mean, honestly, man, all I could think the whole time was like, thank, I was just so thankful to God that he, you know, that the Blessed Mother intervened for you to, to Christ and was able to heal you of whatever was going on. Because, I mean, personally, I can't imagine my life without you in it at this point. And like, I, I know that's the case for so many people in your own life. So, I mean, it's, it is, like you said, just such an incredible edification of, of faith to be able to see how that all rolled out for you. It's, it's amazing. So, obviously, that was a, a pivotal moment in your own life, you know, your life being saved, essentially. Um, what, actually, the first question I have is, what age did you fully comprehend that story? Or when, when do you think that was? I think the, the fullest comprehension would have probably been when I was like 7th or 8th grade. Yeah. And I say that because I, I'm not perfect at all, right? Like, there's parts of my life where I did you know, almost take for granted the upbringing that I had where I was almost so comfortable that like I knew all the, like I got the religion award at my, at my school, right? When I graduated in eighth grade, like I was very comfortable with church teaching. I was that guy, right? (laughs) No, but seriously, right? That was, I was that guy. And like, I, I, so many regrets from like being in that age of like, you know, just really wishing I really did you know, take it more seriously and not take it for granted that I knew all that, right? So I say that though, because I remember like having a conversation in seventh or eighth grade when I was at St. Pat's about it with my parents about, you know, never forget that, right? Like never forget what happened to you and kind of why you are the way you are and why we've molded you and kind of helped you to shape who you are, right? And I remember that conversation at a time when like, I, I felt like I was the top of the world. I might have been in eighth grade and thinking like I did everything awesome. I was you know good at sports and I did music and I was kind of doing really well, but um, I hadn't really been humbled, I feel like, yet, right? And I think that in whatever that conversation would have been, if I got in trouble at school or something, I remember that coming up with a conversation with my parents. So that for me was the like realization of how <clears throat> you know real it was and like how I really truly understood like why I need to live my life the way I do. And then from there, took off to other instances where I had experiences where I was like, yep, it makes sense. Trust well, in Jesus. Well, give me an example of like a, another experience that comes to mind. Sure. Um, so the next one that definitely is most clear um, would be, you know, I was a pretty 
um, uh, I was pretty intense with in Chaminade in high school in the sense of my ability to, um, you know, I, I studied pretty hard. It's one of those schools you guys know. It's just very, um, a lot of stuff goes on there. Like you do sports, you do, you know, clubs and you come home, you're up late doing work. Um, I had a Spanish test. I remember at my, my junior year, maybe where it was like all written. I was super stressed. I was praying all night about it. I was one of those people that prayed to St. Joseph Cupertino, um, test taking. I felt that that was something that provided me with a lot of strength. I still do it today if I'm taking tests at work and stuff too. That, that's that's a good stuff. Catholic school upbringing right there. There you go, right? So I feel like for those that don't know, very, I have no idea phenomenal. who you're talking about, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Some Italian guy. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that another instance in that sense was, um, yeah, junior year, um, the test happened and um, it was very strict school. So if you were... Anything you did wrong, like it was immediate detention, like if your hair was over your collar, all that stuff for those that don't know. Um, with this particular instant, I obviously I wasn't trying to do anything like wrong, like cheat or anything. But um, I will say that if you're like caught writing before the test starts, they consider that to be like a cheating thing because it makes sense. Like you're starting the test before if you're not, you know, whatever. But um, I obviously wasn't cheating. That wasn't what I was trying to do. And um, I started the test right away, like three minutes before the opening bell to start it. And like, I would have never done that if I was in the conscious state of mind. I was so nervous trying to memorize everything that I went and I did the test and I just started because I got the paper. Um, literally three teachers walked past me, didn't do anything, nothing. For anybody else in that room, I am convinced that they would have been in trouble and gotten kicked out of that school. I'm telling you. And I say that comfortably now because I graduated with my degree. So, Shari Shamanad, but you take can't it take it away from me now. Take it back. But, um, but uh, yeah, and I just remember, like, even in that moment when that was happening, I realized it as they passed me. And I, like, started shaking. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? And I stopped, right? Um, after the, it was two or three aides. It was, like, a few teachers that came in. Um, you know, we had a few, like, aides that would come in and help. And, um... The reason I bring up that moment is because um, I felt like I went to a school like that, also part of God's plan. Like my whole thing with my life was always God has a plan. It's the same thing I talk about with my dad all the time. Any struggles that I have in life, um, it's a great kind of motto to live by. God always has a plan. So in that particular instant, no, I wasn't doing anything malicious. I was not doing something, you know, consciously where I was using, you know, judgment to, you know, get myself kicked out of school or use something wrong. I did something where I wasn't thinking, right? And I felt saved. I really did. The same way I was back when I was two years old. I felt that that wasn't my time to have that mess up, get kicked out of a school I worked so hard to get in. And I believe truly that God was on my side in that moment. I don't really have a reason why I feel like that sticks with me so much, but I really, it's crazy, man. I really, I could have gotten kicked out of that school in that moment if I was, you know. I was about to say, I mean, it's just so funny the things that do stick with us, but like, that's not to belittle it because yeah, if you compare that story to, oh, I was two or three years old and I was having fevers and seizures every day. And then I was giving a blessed scapular and I was healed. And then it's like, oh, they didn't catch me when I was potentially cheating on a test. You know, like, those two things compared to each other on face value is like, okay. Should have led with the test, man. I know, right? <laughs> but Gotta being, catch them early. But that being said, like, like, that's not to say that that doesn't, that wasn't Christ intervening. You know, like, you know, it's funny on a, a couple episodes ago, I kind of bashed the whole like signs from God thing. Didn't mean to bash it, but I got kicked back from a couple people who listened to it telling me, like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Signs don't exist. And that's not what I said. But, like, that itself is not necessarily a sign, but it's, like, 
in reflecting back on it, it's like, oh, like Christ was with me in that moment. And that's like a really, that's a real thing, you know? So I, I think it's still like, I mean, it's still just a great little reflection on like a moment that Christ was able to intervene in your life. And like, like you said, offer a mini salvation compared to the literal life-saving salvation you gave. Well, you. I think what sticks to me the most about it was when you're, you know, that particular school. I was, I loved it. Like a lot of people go in there and don't like it. I really did love it. I met my best friends there, like all that. So um, I believe the God intervening thing has, has always stuck with me, even though it's just like a test, right? And that's obviously not comparable to like life-saving with a disease or something. But um, you know, I just. It's something that has always stuck with me because of how important that my parents, my family, how important I felt that school was, right? Um, so I feel like, you know, God's plan was to be in that school, to get a degree from that school, to kind of launch maybe a career. You know, at that point, I know what I wanted to do. But again, in that moment, it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right time for me to have everything taken away like that, right? So. Um, some people could say it was luck and they just never saw it, but I'm telling you when you feel it in your heart, like that wasn't, you know, well, I've made bad decisions before that one was not a, you know, that wasn't a coincidence. Yeah. Joking about, you should have led with that. Uh, I mean, what I, <laughs> what I love about those two stories side by side is, is, is the whole narrative of trust that we've been talking about. And, and, you know, if, if, if we're going to define your personal profile, it sounds like it's trust. You know, and because you have this genuine trust in God, right? And and I think we all, to an extent, if you're listening to this Catholic podcast, you have some kind of trust in God, right? Uh, the question that we always ask ourselves is, where is the, what level is that trust? Um, and it could be anywhere from as little as uh, nobody busted me on cheating on this quote unquote cheating on this test, or you saved my life when things seemed hopeless, right? Trust, you know, they're the there are different levels <laughs> that that we're all that we all approach this this trust thing. So um, I like comparing the two of them. Again, not to belittle the 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 test story at all, but I like comparing the two because things as little as a high school test all the way to your life, there there is no there's no shortage of trust that you should have in God. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I mean you hit the nail on the head there. There's nothing there's nothing too big or too small for you to put for you to be able to offer to God as essentially a sacrifice. And you're saying, God, I know I can't do anything here. Like I already started writing and they could expel me from the school right now. Or my son is, you know, seizing again or has a fever for the 15th day in a row. And the doctors have no clue what's going on. And I just need something from you here. And I'm putting it all in your hands. You know, that's, that's the radical trust that God wants from us. That's why I show the two extremes because I don't I don't put like anything. Yes, of course, in severity, one over the other, it makes sense. But like you know, I put trust in God in everything I do, everything I do, right? So like I don't view anything as too big, too small. Like anything that's on my mind that I want to put into God's hands, I I trust that the outcome will be because of what He has planned for me, mm. right? And I think that again, those two extremes are important for I your listeners think about in the sense that don't be afraid to try to reflect on what you know is on your mind when it comes to something small you're struggling with right put your trust in god you know he really does have that plan um and could be something that you might find silly but to god it's not you know absolutely so 
uh, I mean, wrapping up your personal profile with a bow, right? So like you were this kid and, and this this amazing story of being saved to where you are now. What are you doing for the church now as just a parishioner, essentially? Sure. So um, I'm very involved in music with the church. I think um, God has blessed me, thankfully, with a cool um, background in music and a talent in that. So um, I served, I was responsible for um, music ministry for the youth um, part of our parish at St. Patrick's in Huntington for a few years. Um, and I still um, am very involved with that, playing at masses, um, you know, doing holy hours, things of that nature. Um, I'm also a cantor, so you could see me around a few parishes um, cantering at some um, some masses. Normally I do it on Sunday mornings, um, mostly subbing, um, but I used to, again, primarily was at St. Patrick's. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, really just in general, I really just volunteer when I can. Um, you know, having a deacon dad is always great to be able to find connections of different volunteer opportunities, um, you know, different things going on in the parish, uh, you know, trocare stuff, um, you know. Uh, we have a thing called High High that's at our parish that was going on for a long time for homeless initiatives, nice. um, you know, things like that. So I always try to find a way um, to get involved. Um, so thankfully, I've still been, you know, doing that. So it's awesome. Yeah. And thank you for sharing your personal profile with us today. I, I mean, it was awesome. Just that story, you know, right from the get go, you know, it's, you know, it really, really makes us think about how we should be trusting in God in the little things like tests to uh, to the bigger things, right? Um, again, so thank you. Um, and for the listeners, we normally jump into a topic. Uh, we are going to change up the format a little bit uh, for you. Uh, we're going to be doing some episodes as parishioner profiles. And then uh, next week, we're, we are going to jump into this topic of trust in Jesus. I mean, I mean Brendan, you were, you were telling us yesterday how, you know, what, what's your go-to prayer, essentially? It's uh, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. On the Hollow app. Everybody should download There you it. go. <laughs> Another little plug. Hashtag not a sponsor. Uh, but uh, that, that is what we're going to be please. talking about in, uh, in next week's episode. Definitely tune in next week. Download the episode next week because we'll be talking about trust. Again, thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to connect with us on Instagram at Just a Parishioner. Every week we're going to be posting a question on our story regarding the topic regarding the personal profile. So look out for that. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And uh, do us a favor, give us a five-star rating. And uh, finally, if somebody that you know or you would be great for a personal profile, shoot us an email at weareparishioners at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week for the second part of this discussion. Keep going during Lent. We're praying for you. Please pray for us, too.